0: i'm lisa lloyd and i'd like to welcome you to the second series in my podcast beyond the water cooler in series one we explored what we mean by employee experience and so now we are ready to unpick the how to achieving that as a psychologist psychotherapist and business owner of it's time for change i meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra get people right get business right I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company, with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. So I'm delighted to be joined by Lydia Berry, founder and director of Waymaker Consulting. And Lydia, you always have the biggest smile on your face, and you always look so <laughs> ready for action. Hi, Lydia. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm really looking forward to today. That's a pleasure. So, um to think when we met, we you you listened to me talking uh, at an event uh, where I was talking about resilience, um, yeah. And you've seen me talk at some other stuff subsequently and I think we realized that we um, had a lot in common we very much have the same approach to uh, workplace uh, well-being employee experience and so on. we're on the same page so I thought it'd be really interesting to get you as a guest on my podcast to explore that bit about getting people right to get the business right.
1: Absolutely I think when I heard you talking about resilience I basically stalked you on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and sent you a message and said I love everything you just said this is (laughs) I love it and it's so refreshing because it's still not talked about enough Mm. and to me it is still entirely underestimated how important it is and and your phrase of you know get people right get business right that is absolutely Waymaker lives and breathes that yeah uh, because
0: of what we do so, and I yeah. think also it's that sense of, you know, when we just look at that term resilience, we have to unpick what even what that means. Otherwise, yes. it's just nominalization. And I think, um, you know, when I was talking about at that event, I was very much turning what we often think of it um, as on its head. And and I think that's when you started jumping on and going, yes, someone else is kind of looking at this from the same perspective as me. Um, but I think, you know, you're you're a really good example of someone who has incredible resilience and we'll hear a bit more about that today i was really interested to learn a bit more about your what feels a bit like a whirlwind journey so every time i speak to you you've kind of got new staff and you've got a new office (laughs) and you kind of got new new things happening um but i think your experience has very much shaped you as a leader And i think when we stop and take stock of uh who we are and what shaped who we are today and then how we can consciously use that learning in terms of shaping how we move forward and how we want to lead with intention rather than just seeing what happens. Um, I think really incredible things can happen. And that's what I'm observing with you and the, the sort of development at Waymaker.
1: Absolutely. If if you um, look at what uh, Waymaker Consulting is, which I will say in a minute, mm. um, it it is almost a uh, an outworking of myself um, and it's been a process of teasing out things, skills, characteristics um, that were originally just within myself and identifying them and being able to communicate those so that I can find others that are similar mm-hmm. and weave it into an actual business, which has a structure and which has a purpose. Mm. And that definitely is the Waymaker way. It mm. it's, It is shaped from me. Mm. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so to just explain Waymaker Consulting is a business that makes a way for businesses to grow. So we come alongside in a very practical partnership with businesses that are wanting to grow, and we help them in strategy, in communications and in operations, which on the face of it can sound like, well, that's at least three businesses.
0: (laughs) Yes, at least three
1: businesses. Um, But that reflects my um, eclectic mix of skills. Uh, that I have gleaned along along the way Mm. and actually what we are really finding is uh, as we're sort of coming into our own is that it is that combination that we can span those three quite large areas of support that businesses would need that is giving us our our value um, and giving the businesses we work with real value.
0: Mm. I think I think that's a really good point about it almost sounds like three businesses in one, but actually that reflects he, you and your skills because I, I have been told many times that I should you know be picking my specific niche and you know, what's my, you know, who specifically am I aiming this at? You know, when you have to identify the particular sector on a form that you're filling in, my sector is always people. And I don't, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to limit myself because a bit like you, I have a very varied background in terms of, my experience that has brought me here today and I don't want to just be a specialist in this one thing I'm what I bring is my whole experience Um, and that means you can make you can add value in lots of different areas Uh, so I get that. Certainly for us
1: it's the flexibility and the agility (laughs) and the discernment to um, be able to quickly identify with a client um which part of our skills and experience we need to draw on Mm. so as you say we need to bring all of it to bear and be sort of ready Mm. to deploy what's needed um often entirely in bespoke combinations Mm. so we kind of see ourselves as bespoke off the shelf (laughs) um the off the shelf Mm. bit is you know on our website we've got to categorize these services somehow so that you have an idea of what Support we might be able to give you. But the reality is, when we start to see how start a conversation and see how we might be able to work together, it's always going to be a bespoke combination um, of support Mm. um, that is aligned entirely with how that business is wanting to grow.
0: Mm. And I think, you know, what you said about growing your or developing your business, like, and you know, shaping it around you that requires a lot of self-awareness and self-awareness and leadership is something I've been talking about a, a lot at the moment. Um, I've run an event this last week uh, for leaders in, uh, around, based around self-awareness and actually how we need to take a step back and, and focus a lot more on that. You've obviously, whether you've intentionally done it or not you are obviously quite self-aware to know what it is that you're about and what's important to you and what you want from the people around you and what value you want to be able to provide you've obviously been on that journey for you to be able to set up the company that you've got today because your leader self-awareness will determine employee experience will be will shape everything
1: absolutely so the the way maker way as we term it uh is actually and it was in preparation for this podcast that I myself had the light bulb moment of realizing Mm. that for us our values which are absolutely at the heart of our culture Mm. in terms of our our team which of course um also relates to our clients Mm. um they all require Mm self-awareness um and if I if I pick out some of them one like wholeness for example we say that the the life doesn't stop when the clock starts and that we want you to bring your whole self to work and and as we just referred to all of your experiences from across your life Mm. may come to bear at work and for me, like you said, translating that from, okay, this is just in my head. It's something that I just do, whether it's conscious or unconscious, teasing that out, articulating that, professing that out loud as not only something that I know I do, but something I am looking for in my mm. team and translating that into values on our website um, into the job descriptions that we um, put out in our adverts we put out for advertising roles in how we do our review process with staff how we uh you know train them up and support them in their own personal and uh, career development all of that has to start with me modeling mm-hmm. those behaviors so if I don't bring my whole self to work and say oh my goodness, if my children do not sleep through the night, I'm going to scream because I am so tired. (laughs) And I model that potentially quite a vulnerable statement, Mm. where as a leader, there there is often a pressure to be on point all the time, um, infallible. uh, No, I can just do everything I don't need sleep I don't need to eat I don't need to rest I'm just a machine and that fear of judgment that if I show you a chink in my armor that actually I am not with it today because I've had half an hour sleep mm. and I love my children but I need to not like be near them right now yeah. Oh, I know <laughs> and <that meaning. laughs> you know um which we all feel you know um <laughs> but be able to say that out loud admit that and to know that I'm not going to be judged they're not thinking oh no
0: we're mm. on a sinking
1: ship my leader doesn't know what they're doing um, that requires vulnerability. Mm. Um, and so if I'm not modeling it, how on earth can I expect my team to? And that, yeah, that has been a real, my two leads now um, in the business, they just model it. And mm. it's it's just so wonderful because that's how it then uh, creates in, in the best way possible, a positive peer pressure mm. to, to keep within those values because we're holding
0: holding each other to account essentially yeah yeah
1: yeah and 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 because everybody understands that those values are genuinely for each person's good Mm. not just for the good of the business Mm. um people are more engaged with that and Mm. more uh willing to to partake Mm.
0: and i think it's really interesting what you're talking about sort of the role modeling vulnerability and so on which we talk about a lot you know I always talk about the need for that in terms of creating a culture based on psychological safety um and yeah. people can talk the talk quite well and I've seen lots of organizations say you know we're going to develop psychological safety and we're going to develop this you know being real and being me and so on but actually they still struggle to kind of let down that facade which is you know as you say I'm in control and actually we need to be quite honest with ourselves about the fact that we are not always in control and that when we're tired, we're less in control or when some something unexpected comes along, uh, it can throw us off our tracks and that's normal. And it's that sense of normalizing where we're at right now. But that sense of that self-awareness is, is really paramount to, to business success. And I think there was some research where I think it was um, suggested between 50 and 75% of managers and leaders Und- underachieved significantly, largely due to a lack of self-awareness. So they're not aware um, themselves. And I think that obviously then feeds into that massive discrepancy that we see in many organisations between what leaders think they're doing and how they're coming across and the reality on the ground. And I think when we, when we are more self-aware, and we also get feedback from those around us about, like, okay, I think I'm being, I think I'm behaving like this, and I think I'm kind of giving these opportunities, or I think I'm modeling X, Y, well, or Z. I, is that what you're seeing? And to have the courage to ask those questions.
1: Absolutely, and I think as well, obviously, to do that, as you say, that premise of psychological safety has to be there mm. because people don't traditionally feel safe at work to uh, be themselves Mm. too much personality no no thank you please just do your job Mm. and it's such a traditional way of seeing things and I think certainly the pandemic for all its awfulness Really accelerated uh, progress that was there, mm. but it really accelerated it in terms of things like trusting people to be grown ups when they're working at home mm-hmm. and actually still do mm-hmm. their jobs and mm-hmm. not just watch Netflix all day. Um, and in terms of asking for feedback, I think part of as you say that that statistic, which I'm not surprised by at all, that um, they they're underachieving because they're not self aware. For me, the, the next piece is, okay, I've been brave enough to get the feedback and they've been brave enough to give it. Yes. That's also part yes. of it. Uh, you have to be brave. Like, this is my boss and I'm saying you're not doing it mm. well. Mm. Eek. Will that affect me at my appraisal? You know, that's mm. a thing. Mm. That's yeah, possible. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone's been brave. Well done. And we've given the feedback. Then what? So how does the manager then actually practically change something. Yeah. And that's where as you say you can put all the frameworks in place and um you know pat each other on the back that we've got great values on the the website but it's that practical implementation mm. that to me um you know I know we'll we'll touch on it more in a, in a bit but um having personally gone through more than one type of therapy um it shows you that you have to practice it. Mm. You have to practice Practice self awareness. It is um, a skill. It's not innate, and that actually should give everybody hope because that means you can learn it. Mm. Um, but like anything, you'll often need an instructor, mm. and that could be counselling. It doesn't have to be, and there are lots of different types. Um, it could be something you just sort of take yourself on a journey of, mm. um, but you must be intentional about yeah. it. It it will not just happen. When your job title changes and that salary <laughs> increases yeah. potentially, um, and you suddenly become a manager, you don't mm. sort of have you know magic wand, and you suddenly mm. are self aware.
0: Yeah, and it's also creating the opportunities, isn't it? So whether it's going to see someone to let them help you along that journey, or carving out the time to say this is actually my development time as a leader. So whether it's about coming along to my event where I'm working with leaders in a, a teepee or whether it's um, about just saying I'm going to take half an hour an hour and I'm going to go move away from my desk move away from everything that's the kind of normal pressure and I'm going to go and specifically ask myself these questions or specifically look at this from a different perspective because I think we was well, like you were saying getting ready for you know think about this podcast is only when you were thinking about Actually, what we might talk about today, you made the link between something to a self awareness and something you've been developing, and you had yeah. that kind of aha moment. Now you're someone who's already self aware, but it's only when you were given that space to say, "Right, I'm going to think specifically about self awareness um, in relation to these particular aspects," that you then thought, "Actually, yeah, that's expanding my self awareness." And I think we have to be so aware of, as you say, the intention of becoming more self-aware and you know part of that as a leader in terms of setting the tone for your team is massively important so if you if you think about the fact that you have that huge responsibility for basically creating enabling whatever's going to happen in your team around you so if your team is not performing it comes down to you and actually if you're a bit more aware mm-hmm. of what that's about then it gives you insight into to what to do about that
1: absolutely and certainly my um style of leadership is kind of a juxtaposition. So one part of it is um, I do kind of evoke a kind of queen style leadership or monarch style (laughs) leadership where I have my kingdom you know my realm and um, I have my privy council as it were where I will consult and get my support and you know, to develop my own self-awareness about, you know, business decisions and and issues, Um, which obviously makes the team sound like my subjects. And this is where the juxtaposition comes in because the other half of it is I like to practice servant leadership, which of course turns that monarch uh, style Mm -hmm. (laughs) leadership on its head. So my question is, what do you need from me? Mm -hmm. What do you need from me to help you do your job? and and part of that is um uh as I say our values and it requires them to be self-aware because if they're not aware of their own needs how are they going to ask me what they need Mm. from me Mm. so in some ways just as you said when you have space um, and you're posed these questions it gives you the chance to think well if that's just how I operate with them I'm always asking them what do you need from me mm. they're going to practice it mm. oh I don't I don't know I don't know what I need from you that might be where they start mm. um and so again I've got to model it well do you need this do you need this um we do this for example in terms of delegating at work so um We will often it might be me who's had a connection with the client, but I've got to feed that back to the team Um, or uh, a member of the team has done a first draft of something and I've got to give feedback. In all of those scenarios, it's my responsibility initially to delegate correctly. So make sure I've given them enough information. The other half of that is they've got to check if I've given them all the information and if I haven't they've got to ask it of me Mm. in a timely fashion before they start the work. Mm. Um, And then in terms of the the feedback piece, something I will ask a lot is, how do you want me to give you the feedback? Mm. Because I can give it to you in a way that works for me, but that's not relevant. I'm not the one who's got to make the changes. Mm. (laughs) They do. And so if I can adapt my style to match how they learn or you know take on board yeah. feedback that's going to be much better and, and 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 again I'll give them options do you want me to do track changes and you just decipher it do you mm. want me to do track changes and we share it on a screen mm. and I verbally talk you through them do you want me to just have the original? And I verbally talk you through it and you write notes, you know, whatever it is for them, because I need them to know why I've made those changes, not just what the changes are.
0: And I think that's a really good example of personalization. I talk a lot about yeah. and the need for leaders to know everyone in their team who they are engaging with at that level their individual style and how they work best and what they need and it will look different for each person I know some people yes. simply don't have time for that and my response would be well maybe you're not gonna be the most effective leader then because actually you can't bring out the best in your team if you don't know how they operate best and what they need from you to enable that so I think that's a great example and and what you
1: said there it's so short-sighted mm. Because actually you will spend, and I think one of your other uh, podcast guests talked about this, you'll spend the time regardless. You'll either spend the time later unpicking and undoing and redoing um, and giving more feedback or you can spend the time up front. But the time will be spent either way. And to me, doing it it, up front, um, what it enables people to do is develop their own sound of awareness of how they learn. um, But also it empowers them Mm. Because I am treat, basically treating them like a human that I respect mm. and value in yeah. the simplest form. I'm saying I actually care how you are absorbing and digesting what I'm saying, mm. because the more you can do that, it means you can then you know going forward you've got that information you don't need to necessarily ask me for that again and you can feel good yes I'm progressing I know more than I did last time and that is the way certainly we that's part of our Mm -hmm. way make Mm way.
0: um I hear (laughs) you talking about really is 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 basically the relationships which are based on that trust and you're giving people responsibility but you're holding everyone holds each other to account and I think you know your leadership style is one where you are supporting people so you are enabling them and support them to cooperate with each other and to be able to uh, work together and know how to be able to how to feedback and how to help each other with with different things I think that is really important and then but also you've got the confidence that they can do their job and you're not having to micromanage and you 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 have that confidence in them being able to get on with their role and do it well so that perhaps you can then focus on some of the stuff about navigating a rapid pace of change and knowing that actually that's something you've got to stay on top of and knowing actually you've got to keep up to date with you know providing results you know what are the results you're looking at achieving and therefore your clients but also are you measuring the behaviors that fit your values and you know there's so much for you to be thinking about that when you can actually step back and let your team do the stuff that they need to do and know that they do it well that frees your time up hugely <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And that's been a big transition in the business, um, which I think uh, perhaps, you know, some people listening might be going through themselves or wondering if they should go through it is that change in mindset from being a freelancer or a consultant or a solopreneur, um, transitioning from that sort of space and and, uh, mindset into being a business owner with a team Mm. and to begin with I don't need to do any of this stuff it's me I manage myself so all that self-awareness and you know developing it's all sort of internal Uh, in my own head uh, Um, and certainly um, the clients that um, I worked with were were a reflection of that. They perfectly molded to me, and I perfectly molded to them.
0: Yeah, they're buying but you, aren't they're they? They're buying
1: me. Yes. Um, and certainly in our business, our brains basically are our biggest asset. That and our laptops. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all we need to do everything we do. And as part of that transition, it is, um, as I said, getting it all out of my head onto paper. You know, articulating it. Um, and getting the team on board uh, with that way of thinking, um, it, as you say, it gets to that point where it self perpetuates mm. because they're on board. It has to be that way because I cannot be so central in the service delivery if this business has a chance of scaling up and growing. Mm. It just cannot be the case. Mm. And this, to me, is just sort of intuitively the the way it made sense for me to do it. Yeah. Um, is yeah, lead, be really in amongst it. And I still am, Mm. but slowly, but surely when they're ready, Mm. stepping a little further back, a little further back Mm. um, and letting them thrive and do their thing and own it themselves.
0: And I think that whole exercise you went through in terms of that move from you working on your own to having a team around you and how you communicate what you're about and what you're expecting and how things are going to work um, in your company, you've gone through that. But I think a lot of companies who are actually probably quite well-established with established teams would benefit from going through that process mm. more often. That's almost like a, it should be a review because if you think about the pace of change with the pandemic, lots of people, you know, the way people are working is so different, although the perhaps companies have taken a slightly different directional they're focusing on a slightly different aspect of their business and we need to be able to just pause and just reassess where are we now how are things feeling why are we doing this stuff and just check in again with making sure everyone's values are still aligned making sure that everyone is still clear about what's expected of them and how things are supposed to operate around here particularly when we've got hybrid working and so on that's that's a big shift It's a bit like, you know, increasing your team. Um, You know, people worry about having a small company expanding and how they maintain that culture. But it's the same as, you know, when you've gone from having people in an office to suddenly being spread out. How do you do that? So I think that process is so useful to dip into as a very regular review. Mm. Again, it creates increases that self-awareness of us as leaders but also our company you know how aware are we of actually what's going on here are we asking those tricky questions about how do people feel why do they think they're doing what they're doing what is it going well is it not going well
1: yes Mm. yes absolutely
0: so let's move on now because I want to hear a little bit about your story which I know um we're not going to dwell on but I think your story and hearing that is important because it explains actually some of who you are today, Uh, it's shaped you so much. And I think what's interesting and what I loved hearing when you explained this recently to me, is just how you've been able to learn from that and apply so much of what you took from that experience in the past to, to who you are now. So although lots of people will not have experienced what you're going to explain, they just to hear this, the sense of actually when you go through anything in life about taking that and almost taking that with you to kind of intentionally use and shape how you want to move forward. So, so, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of your story and what you know how that's been instrumental in terms of who you are today and creating the employee experience you've got today?
1: Yeah, so I definitely was somebody as a, a child and into my teenage years and early 20s was an overachiever, uh, a perfectionist. um, And I definitely uh, had uh, some mental health issues around that um, uh, to do with eating. Uh, You know, that was a kind of physical manifestation of that need for control. Mm. So needing control has always been Mm. a thing. Um, And after university, I, uh, my my husband and I, uh, decided to go on down the rabbit hole of having children, and for most people that's obviously a wonderful time, and uh, it was, and then it wasn't for us. And unfortunately, um, our first daughter Evelyn, uh, she died uh, just after she was born in extremely traumatic circumstances, and going through that loss at a reasonably young age as well so sort of just about mid-20s both of us were it was beyond a shock Mm. and uh, because that is not what you expect to happen you believe especially with the NHS you know we're in a civilized Um, you know developed country this doesn't happen Mm. and it did and of course, if you asked anybody, uh, what are your deepest fears or worst fears? Um, it's sort of one that surely everybody has, you know, losing a child. That's mm-hmm. that's obviously up there. But most people, you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually think that is a, almost even a possibility. No. Um, but and I was definitely like that. Um, and so then when it happened, it just tapped into all the kind of (laughs) worst parts of of me in some ways um I always say that our greatest strengths are our weaknesses when when they're used inappropriately Mm. and so for me what can be strengths so when we say needing to be in control that means I am organized I am uh, thoughtful I'm insightful I can plan I can uh orchestrate I can get people to do it to do what I want <laughs> in yeah. the nicest possible way. Yeah. Um I can have a vision and do it. Now when you apply that to having a baby where whether we like it or not there are so many aspects of being pregnant and giving birth that are not in our control. Mm. That that doesn't work. That's not compatible. Mm. And certainly also then with grieving if you're kind of I was like where's the handbook where's the like 10 stop step process Mm. for me to nail grieving because this Mm. is this is horrific this is so physically painful Mm. I want to study up like an exam pass the grief exam and move on with my life yeah and so to me that's my strength being applied inappropriately grief Mm -hmm. is not like that giving birth is not like that it is Mm. messy it is visceral it is natural and things can go wrong and so for me um obviously there were many consequences to Evie dying Mm. the fact that she herself lost her life and didn't get Mm. to experience the world our loss as Mm. parents our wider family's loss of a granddaughter and a niece Mm. Beyond all of that, there were so many more consequences uh, for me personally, in terms of my self-confidence and my self-esteem. And for me, I I just drew some conclusions about that experience that really (laughs) now I've worked through those uh, were not helpful. Mm. um to my piece of mm. to my mental health so I believed it was my fault I blamed my body which I was already used to doing <laughs> yeah because of my my yes. eating issues and I was yeah I just basically just internalized anger mm. so I was understandably extremely angry about what had happened mm but i had been taught you know you don't express anger you don't talk out to authority you just do as you're told because i was a good girl Mm. you know that's part of my perfectionism Mm. is uh pleasing people and effectively coming from a fear of not being lovable Mm. like if we're really going to get into the therapy of it (laughs) that's what was at the heart of my issues was the fear of being unlovable there's something about me that fundamentally intrinsically mm. is bad and is not lovable and so then when such a bad thing happened it was like see it's evidence you des- evidence mm. you deserved that see mm. you you how foolish were you to think you could just have a baby mm. and this was what i took from it so that is my perspective of what happened and um I also then had, uh, you know, a a bad experience in one of my uh, in the, you know, in a work scenario where, again, for me, being seen as capable, being seen as being in control was absolutely paramount to my self-esteem and my self-confidence. So that that phrase of, you know, other people's opinions of you uh, are none of your business. Oh, they were my business. I would that was the only thing I focused on was how I was perceived Mm. and so that meant you know I I couldn't be fat I couldn't be taking up too much space in the room I had to say the right things do the right things perfectionist you know classic Mm. stuff and so when I was in a scenario where a boss did not think I was doing that oh my goodness that undid me because what am I if I am not this overachiever at work so it was very much focused on my contribution what do I do rather than who I am Mm. as as where I get my value from Mm. and of course when you take your value from what you do that is of course linked to others perception of it Mm. because if they think I'm doing a good job Great, I'm doing a good job and I feel great, but I have no control over whether they think that or not. Mm. And half the time, we never even know what people are really thinking. No. So it gets you in all kinds of pickles because you spend all your time ruminating, going over a scenario or a situation that happened, fearing what might feel like conflict because basically you're too scared to have your own voice, because what, what happens if they disagree? Mm. What happens if they think I've just said something ridiculous? Mm. Then I am ridiculous. That's the that was the links I was making. And so then, you know, referring back to you know how Waymaker is Lydia shaped in, in many ways, that is because I drew from all of those experiences and really worked hard at distilling down um, some core kind of life lessons for, for myself and then was able to apply them. But for me, as I said earlier about counselling, uh, I'm not super hero. here, like I needed help. Mm. But even saying I need help, gosh, that's hard. Um, but I had to, and for me, uh, you know that we're we're thinking of fear gosh I paid so much money into the bank of fear uh, for a very long time thinking it would reap me rewards because it's the idea of carrot and stick well I'll take the stick so basically the self-talk is we don't want to be like that do you You don't want to be seen as rubbish at that, do you? You don't want to be seen as some fat slob that's lazy, do you? Mm. Come on. And that self-talk is what I was using to try and motivate myself to do the things I did want to achieve. And, of course, when you say it like that, it's pretty obvious. That's not going to really motivate somebody. Mm. And uh, a technique that I learned in therapy was this best friend idea, so often our self-talk is absolutely horrendously rude and cruel. Quite frankly, cruel. We are cruel to ourselves. And the the technique is: Would you say that to your best friend? Mm. You would, and then you'd immediately say, "Absolutely not." Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you would speak to another human being like that if you wanted to remain friends with them or married to them. <laughs> And yet we are very happy to speak to ourselves that way. Mm. And believe me, I did that for a long time. I was signed up. I was like, this is how you do it. Mm. <laughs> and the the kind of the kryptonite to that kind of way of thinking is compassion. And some of my therapy and, and things I've subsequently intentionally learned about and, and practice is compassion. It is honestly a superpower. And certainly we bring this to, to Waymaker in terms of how we treat the team and, and the clients. Um, compassion is empathy and it's understanding. And it gives a baseline assumption that that other person had good intentions mm-hmm. and is, and is good and is of value. And they are worth it they're worth coming down into the hole and sitting next to them, which is very different to sympathy. Mm. So Brené Brown has um, a great, uh, whether she did it or she's just referenced it, there's a beautiful um, little uh, sort of cartoon that depicts the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy, basically you're in the hole in you know in the ground and sympathy looks down into the hole and is like oh that must be that must be terrible for you down there um at least you're able to get pregnant or there's plenty more jobs out there or all these platitudes Mm. that are meaningless empathy gets down into the hole and sits next to you and just says i'm here I can stand and tolerate your emotions and where you're at. I'm just going to meet you where you're at. I'm not going to require you to move. I'm not going to require you to even speak. And I will sit here next to you as long as you need. Whoa, that is powerful. Mm. If you can do that, if you can actually do that, to other people perhaps might be easier to begin with Mm. if you can do that to yourself honestly I never like to give advice I only I caveat everything with I am only saying these suggestions from my lived experience because that's all I have yeah yeah (laughs) um but for me, I now describe myself as a recovering perfectionist um, because I see it as lifelong, <laughs> mm. and and it's always there because because they are my strengths as they, they're mm. there, mm. and for me that piece around, it's your your weaknesses are your strengths you used inappropriately. I cannot tell you how much of a game-changing moment that was for me Mm -hmm. because I was like, with all this introspection and all this reflection and all this idea that I can change, I kept coming back to this thing of, but I I don't think I can change that. I don't think I can change the fact that I love being super organized and I find it really hard to tolerate things that are not organized. I kept coming back against that. And initially my brain would say, well, so that's because there's something wrong with you. Mm. Now I know, no, 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 no. You're just using that tool inappropriately. Mm. They're all tools. You know, you think of any of the actual superheroes in Marvel, you know, you pick what their strength, their superpower is, their perpet- you know, one of the perpetual storylines is shall they use it for good or evil? <laughs> you know, it's that idea. It's the same yeah. superpower. It's the same characteristic or quality. It's just how you apply it. And honestly, that for me was a game changer.
0: And that's the bit that underlies you being authentic because too yes. many people try to change who they are because they yes. don't think it fits it's like I can't be this anymore and I can't be that anymore yeah but actually if that's fundamentally who you are you've got to find a better way of using it as you say and to turn it into that strength
1: and it's that idea that I'm not enough
0: mm. whatever I am mm-hmm. is
1: not enough mm. and I think um I definitely believe knowledge is power I do mm-hmm. believe that. But I feel in this world of information overload from sources that are not always verified, I think sometimes sometimes ignorance is bliss in terms of knowing what the entire world thinks about a thing. Because what it is um, degrading is our own skill to be critical in our thinking, do our research, but still at the end of it, form our own opinion.
0: And yeah. that's enough. <laughs> yes. I have to say, I'm um, very grateful for you sharing your story because I, that takes a lot of courage to actually uh, talk about that. Um, and I, I'm impressed by how you've turned something that has was clearly so traumatic, we can't even begin to imagine the, the pain that you experienced and, and what you went through. But to be able to look at that and learn from that, take something positive from that in terms of who you are, your sense of identity, and to do that U-turn actually in terms of who you were to who you are now, using your journey as that kind of pivotal point, I think is is really. I mean, I feel very privileged to to kind of be hearing uh, hearing that story, and and also you know i've i've listened to lots of people on various forums talking about their personal stories and actually you know it is they cannot be quite upsetting and we will put um notes uh, a contact in the show notes for people who can reach out to support if they want some support if they feel affected by your story but yeah um But I, but I really like the fact that, and this really sums you up, I think, Lydia, in that you have, you're not dwelling on the negative, you're not, you haven't got that kind of self pity. I did. You did. (laughs) You don't now, and you are someone who is so (laughs) driven and so, so, like so passionate about what you do, and so good at what you do because you are basing it on being authentic, on being compassionate on being everything that you value. You're really putting that at the core of your business. And that's why you have recently recruited more staff and you've had to move to a bigger office and suddenly you realize your business is booming because you are fundamentally being honest about who you are and what's important to you and you're living and breathing that.
1: Yes, I will say that um, Evie would have been 10 last October. So it's been a journey. It doesn't Mm -hmm. happen overnight. And certainly, I think that, you know, in in practical terms, what I have had to do is take different traumas um, in my life, obviously, some of which have been uh, catastrophic and Mm. and huge, and integrate them into my life, which Mm. sounds weird, but um, people who've suffered any kind of grief will know that it's like you, your body and your mind sort of reject that it's true. Mm like even though you know it's true it's like because it's such an awful truth you just don't want it to be true and that's why one of the stages of grief is about acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean that you're happy about what happened absolutely not but it means that you truly acknowledge that it happened Mm. and honestly that's that is fundamental to being able to carry on. And so I see it as you've got a kind of, you know, a a patchwork quilt that is your life and all these different parts of the different experiences and you growing up and just chronologically what we go through in your life. And when you've got a a piece of patchwork that is this this awful, tragic event, you're like, I'm not sewing that in. That's not happening. Because I do not want that to define me. I don't want that to be part of my story. I don't want to be the one whose baby died or whatever that Mm. thing is. I don't want that label. I don't know, I I just, I hate what it means. And slowly but surely accepting it and sewing it into the the tapestry, Mm. into the patchwork um, and being able to see it as a whole Mm. is is basically how I've come Mm. from there to here. And to me, it's this fundamental thing of, um, you know, Evie did not die because I needed to be taught lessons. I learned lessons because she died. And that's not just cute semantics. It's certainly for me, pivotal, Mm. pivotal. Um, And you can apply that to any trauma or or anything that happens in your life that is um, uprooting and um, discombobulating and uh, disarming is no. It's not because you've got to be taught lessons or something wrong with you. It sounds glib, but life happens. Mm. It's it is a part of life. Dying is a part of life, or losing your job, being made redundant, getting a divorce. Um, you know, all all sorts of big terrible things are a part of life,
0: mm.
1: but it's how well you can integrate them.
0: Mm. And and I think and also the you know it's about being able to integrate them and and as you say have that acceptance which is not mm. I like it but it's it's part nope. of, of my life but also being aware of the impact that can have on you and mm-hmm. fear and and how you deal with the yes. emotions and whether you internalize them or whether you yeah. find a way of expressing them appropriately I love what yeah. you were talking about that internal voice and when you know so many people who are living in a situation that Um, Or working situation where they're just fearful about am I am I good enough or am I doing the right am I making the right choices or Mm -hmm. you know what if and it's that fear that Mm -hmm. can stop anyone in their tracks and recognizing what the voice is saying and knowing that you have control knowing that you have a choice about whether to listen to it and how you might reframe it and whether actually you think yeah i'm scared but i'm going to go ahead and do this thing anyway because i know it's the right thing to do and it pushes me out of my comfort zone that role of fear is critical for development for your business isn't it
1: i totally agree and and for me um i have experienced a lot of different types of fear whether it's more in my personal life or at work as i say that fear of my boss thinking I'm crap um oh that fear is real man and mm-hmm. I felt it and that would basically paralyze me yes. so it meant when they said something that actually I had I could have rebutted and said actually I did do this that and the other and uh, just to remind you you said this and you what know, whatever that scenario mm-hmm. was um it would m- most of the time it would paralyze me and I would just think it and I'd have those amazing monologues in the shower moment where afterwards you would just say everything you wanted to say beautifully eloquently and they'd listen and they have a repentance moment and they see the light and they think gosh oh my goodness you're absolutely right I was so wrong and you you know you play it all out but it happens in your head and not in real life.
0: <laughs> but also, but in, even happening in your head is really powerful because oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, a, it's a good strategy. So one day a week I wear my psychotherapy hat and one of the, the techniques I use is closing angry files. And it's that sense you can say what you want to some, say to somebody and they will hear and you will you are very eloquent and you, you get your point across and you, you walk away from that situation feeling mm-hmm. lighter. And, it does help because actually, part of that process is about reducing your emotional arousal. So, if you're walking mm-hmm. around like a container, holding on to all this anger, frustration, fear, whatever it is, and you don't do anything with it, mm-hmm. um, it paralyzes you. You know, it adds yeah. that sense of I, I'm just being driven by my emotion. Whereas, when we can do something to offload and actually having those moments in the shower wherever you want to do it and just being able to say oh I was on my bike last night and honestly I've never cycled so fast in recent history since broken my ankle because yes. um because I had I was wound up about something and I was on, yeah. and I was like talking away to myself and having good old rants and by the time I got halfway around I felt a lot better yeah. but it's it, but it's it's a really important part of recognizing when we're feeling wound up mm-hmm. about something and what we do with it and and crucially
1: with that point is Uh, have the rant so ruminate on it uh, you know spend time dwelling on it but it is then putting it down or letting it go Um, it's so easy and and I you know it's a habit to keep picking it up Mm. keep picking it back Mm. up and just rummaging around it one more time and um, that's where you can easily lower your mood and go into perhaps a depressive time is when you just ruminate mm. um on whatever that that thing mm. is. Um whereas as you say, um seeing it as a technique, mm. um so again intentionally saying I am going to say everything right now mm. and then genuinely be able to put it down afterwards, which is mm. so much harder than it sounds, um then that is how you can pick it up and put it down and not be paralyzed by fear.
0: And I think leadership is such a lonely job because yes. although we can have that amazing team around us and we can be very much ourselves and say so we don't know something and let's work together and trying to work out the best way to move forward and so on. So you can do all that, but ultimately the buck stops with you. Mm. So to have people in your trusted network, in your, you know, I refer to as kind of your dream team, they're, they're the people who are not necessarily your employees they might be other leaders or they might be people external to a business who you can use as a sounding board and you can mm. you you have you know they've got your back you've got their back you can be completely honest and open and I think getting another perspective can also be really helpful because yes we should be able to listen to our thoughts and decide what to do with them and yes we should be able to have a rant and then park it. And yes, we should be able to reframe something so it doesn't feel so negative. But actually, if we're struggling to do that, then we need to find a different way. And having those conversations with someone saying, this is how I'm feeling about this, Mm -hmm. any thoughts? And it might be that they just say, yeah, it's really hard right now. That's a really tricky situation. Just go with it. Or have you thought about this? Have you tried doing that? And I think when you have a different sense of perspective and you can put stuff into... um, into a bit more have a bit more balance so you're using that fear you're you're acknowledging that fear you're aware of that fear and then you're doing something positive with it
1: absolutely and I I think it's important to understand the role of emotions Mm. so we are sentient beings we have a spirit a soul whatever you want to say and um, emotions uh, set us apart and uh, they are really really useful Mm. And to see them as part of your your arsenal, your toolkit, they are information and often they can communicate to us um, in that space where there are no words, um, where you're feeling compromised or a boundary's been crossed, or um you're really sad <laughs> or disappointed, mm. you know, d- these things, or equally I'm super happy, I feel joyful, all of that. Mm. And it's understanding that this too shall pass so when you have an extreme emotion when it's joy we we don't mind that (sighs) it can feel super intense but we're like this is great you know I feel comfortable this is a you know this is a nice feeling actually there's no such thing as a good or bad feeling they're just feelings but the their intensity especially when they're on that on the end of the spectrum of uh you know um grief or loss mm. or disappointment or sadness mm. uh, they can feel much harder to bear and i think people worry that they will be consumed by those emotions mm. and that they will you know so many times i've heard you know well if, if i start crying i'll never stop mm. actually you will mm. you may do it for an hour yeah and it might be horribly uncomfortable in that time but it will pass. And the only way you know that is if you try it. Mm. I can sit here and tell a blue in the face and tell you, mm. oh, it will pass. It might feel horrible for an hour. La la la. But unless you personally sit with something and cry and you know sit with that emotion until it passes, it's really learnt knowledge. Mm. It's head knowledge otherwise. Yeah. It's theory. And that, again, is why I always say this is my lived experience is I really did think I was going to lose myself. Mm. I really did think I was going to be entirely consumed and decimated Mm. by what the why the feelings. Mm. But I survived. I am still here. Mm. And it's learning those that you have choice. It's the same with thoughts. Yeah. You know, seeing it as your thoughts are like fish in a river, and you can choose which ones you hook onto your fishing line.
0: Mm.
1: I genuinely used to not think that was real. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, but my thoughts just come in and that's what's happening. Like, that is how humans work. What are you talking about? And it's like, no, (laughs) actually, it's not. But again, it's practice,
0: it's being intentional, and it's getting help, help to practice. So what would you say, Lydia, are some kind of key practical steps or actions that you think you would love to see leaders engaging with now so Mm -hmm. that they perhaps overcome their fear or uh, perhaps make a difference in terms of increasing their self-awareness so you know in terms of your what you've picked up okay
1: so for me uh something I think we've touched on but I want to sort of be intentional about it is Mm learning how you learn how do you work how do you absorb information and not just absorb it digest it but then apply it mm. so are you a visual learner are you an audio learner um are you into podcasts or books or tiktok you know or it's oh no I'm all about uh, speaking to people and asking them questions mm. or things on tv like literally what whatever it is that gets um, a a concept or an idea out from the ether into your head and then for you to apply it Mm. work out what that is for you be curious Mm. about yourself and how you operate so that can be in a very very practical way you have an interaction and you choose to sit afterwards and unpick it what did I do how did I say this what did they say How long did that interaction take? Just be curious. So that definitely will start that um, training, the brain training Mm -hmm. of uh, being Mm -hmm. self-aware. Another one is if you're struggling to find your voice because of fear, you're worried what people will think of you. Um, In a meeting, if an opinion pops in as they do, and you've, again, you've got to be intentional and you notice yourself catching yourself and not saying that thing. If you can write it down, if that helps, but obviously still be engaged Uh in the meeting, say it, pick something very small so that the risk is small because this is the thing about fear is it's risky. Mm. That's what we're fearing. There's a risk of something, Mm. there's a risk of something happening. So pick a very small risk, So it's just my husband or it's just uh, my friend or Mm. it's just my team or whoever and try it. And then afterwards, again, intentionally dissect that. Mm. So what was I? What was the risk? What was I worrying? I was worrying that they would think that was a stupid idea Mm. or I was worrying that they would say, what do you mean you don't understand? Which is a really hard one to admit, but everyone's thinking it. What okay, so that was the fear, and then what actually happened? Yeah. Okay, nobody laughed. Uh Bob agreed that he didn't agree, understand either, and thanked you for saying that out loud. Mm. And so evidence of what actually happens, you can use that to combat the next time you've had that same yeah. fear. You can go, oh hello, fear, right? You're back. Yeah, right. You need to stand down because last time I did this, the evidence showed it was okay. Yeah. So I'm going to try again, and you can do that with bigger and bigger things. And then another one, particularly around when you're giving feedback to team and having perhaps harder conversations where the feedback is, you know, can feel a bit tricky to give. This is something that Brené Brown talks about. Um, you don't come in accusing your team member of doing a thing. You come in and say here's the story I'm telling myself about you being late three times last week. And in doing it that way, you're framing your feedback as your perspective and that it's a story and that you're inviting them to listen to your story and then feedback. So you can say, Here's a story I'm telling myself. When you came in late three times last week and none of the times did you verbally acknowledge that you'd been late um, or uh, communicate in any way that that had an impact on your other team member because they had to start a meeting without you or you made their report late. That made me think that you didn't realize that. And that's an issue for me because as a team, we all work together. Mm. It also is an issue, you know, the other thing I'm telling myself is that you didn't care, that you knew and you didn't care. And that's not part of our values. They then can say, oh, okay, if that's the story you were telling yourself, I can see why you were a bit short with me. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, for example, um, or why my teammate was, you know, bare minimal sentences to me all day. And you can say the truth. This is the psychological safety piece is actually, I knew I was late all three times and I was so mortified, I I couldn't even say it. Mm. And I just wanted to get in and uh, and just get going. Or actually, I've got a childcare issue and uh, it's, you know, or there's like, there's roadworks or I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, whatever um, it is.
1: Whatever it is. Yeah. um And, and then the, the manager can then say, okay, so now we've kind of found between my story, your story, somewhere in the middle is the truth. We can work on that. Mm okay, so next time you're late and you know it, I expect you to verbalize that because mm. that makes a world of difference. Or let's sort this childcare issue out. Do you need to start later? Um, do you need to think about a different route to work to avoid those roadworks? Mm. Like it's, it can then become super practical and it's yes. less, less personal mm. in the sense of being offensive or you're right, I'm wrong, all that kind of stuff. So, they're the kind of really practical tips I'd give.
0: They are really practical, and I love the examples. And I think it pulls together really well so much of what we've talked about today. Um, There are various other resources that people can go and read. I know you're going to, well, you provided me with some, and I can put those in the show notes. Um, I've recently written a blog about uh, fear um, Mm -hmm. stopping you as a leader. um, So, I'll put a link to that. So, there's, but those, those, those three strategies those three tips I think if people took away those and they would mm. um, and, and worked on those a little bit then that's a really great starting point to yeah. overcome that fear to become a bit more self-aware a bit more connected with their team and to generally help things move in the right direction for their for the experience of everyone in that team for it to feel meaningful and engaging and actually a, a positive place to be
1: yeah, it does require so a word we haven't said in this podcast, but you've definitely covered it. Is courage? Yes, courage is tolerating that fear and still doing the thing, mm. um, and vulnerability, which we have talked about a bit. Um, they they are superpowers.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: they really are.
0: Yeah, so let's let's work on those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um a question that I'm going to ask you now is uh, actually something that my last guest, Dave Harms, um, inspired me to ask each guest a question that's been posed by my previous guest. We haven't okay. done this yet on this podcast, but I really love the idea. So we're going to start now. Um, so Dave's question for you, which actually I think he borrowed from Tim Ferriss, so it's a good one, <laughs> is there is a blank billboard in a field what would your message be and you can write absolutely anything
1: um <laughs> that's that's not a daunting question in any way shape or form. so so what I'm noticing is my perfectionism is kicking in because I'm thinking I've got to give a really good inspirational
0: answer yes and so this is your opportunity now <laughs> Lydia to to practice everything you've been talking about and just to say you know what I'm not going to worry about what other people would say what other people think I should say right now (laughs) if I had a massive pen or a big tub of paint and I was going to go and sprawl this message up what would it be
1: okay so I would say you are of value you
0: are of value love it and if we all remember that. Yeah, that's yeah. the basis, basis of everything. Yeah, it's a good driver. Lydia, you have been fantastic today. Thank you so much. And um, we're going to put your contact details in the show notes. Is there any particular way that you'd pe- you prefer people to contact you? Or are you happy for people to contact you and find out more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So LinkedIn is obviously a good place. Um, just, you know, ask to connect with me or send me a message. Uh, we also have, obviously, my email address is fine. They're probably the best two ways.
0: Yeah, fantastic. You have been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me and You're sharing welcome. your journey, sharing your personal story um, and sharing all your sound advice. Um, and I'm not surprised having heard a bit more about it today. Every time I meet you, we kind of unpick another l- layer. Yes. Um, <laughs> that way Maker <laughs> Consulting is doing so well. So it's, it's, oh, thank it's, you. it's inspiring to, to watch your practice grow. So, Thank you so much, Lydia. Um, And we'll speak again soon. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk. My details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.